Small business is big in West Texas, fueled by a special breed of entrepreneurs. They sow seeds of hard work and rely on each other to grow. They're all connected by a common thread that creates the character of our community, and they keep us moving forward. And no one brings small business together like First Bank and Trust. At First Bank and Trust, you get more than a bank. You get a network across this entire community. Take a step with the bank that knows how to make small business a bigger deal. On the other side of Texas, history has its place. On the other side of Texas, justice rules the case. They don't like it, they don't love it. They say we're all wrong, but on the other side of Texas halls, we roll on. Hey there, howdy. Welcome into your Friday edition of The Other Side of Texas. Thanks for tuning in and telling friends that you hang out right here with yours truly, J. West Texas Leeson. Your thoughts as we roll along, 806-745-5800. Daniel, the digital millennial guru with play-by-play in the studio as we roll along. And also, Brandon Darby, the infamous Brandon Darby. Thanks for coming in, guys. I was waiting for you, Brandon. I was but, waiting for you, buddy. Oh, okay. Well, thank you, Jay. I'm, I'm glad that you are here. Uh, lots to get into on a border edition, a chiropractor edition of the program as we roll along. Nobody here is a practicing chiropr- chiropractic guy, right? It depends on the county. On the county, from county to county. Uh, Bill filing day to day, and I just want you guys to track with me for one second. We're going to get into the border thing, but this is a pet peeve of mine. A couple of headlines I want to read, and one is (sighs) Baylor University settles Title IX lawsuit in which gang rape by up to eight football players was alleged. This is a uh, headline from July 2018. Former Baylor volleyball player who said the school mishandled her complaint of having been gang raped by eight to up to eight Bears football players in 2012, and that the university allowed a rape culture to persist. persist. Within the football program, program has settled her Title IX lawsuit against the school, according to a notice filed on Friday. That's problematic. This is new. This is from March 7 of this week. In the superseding indictment filed on Thursday afternoon in the college basketball corruption trial, Federal prosecutors allege that the would-be agent Christian Dawkins paid bribes to unnamed assistant coaches at schools in Nebraska and Texas. The two schools implicated are reportedly Creighton and TCU, according to Yahoo Sports. Okay, Daniel, track with me for just a second. If there is a problem at Texas Tech University, which competes in the Big 12, I can and have filed before public information requests. 
and they are bound to respond to those requests within a due amount of time. If I heard something like this at Baylor or something like that at TCU were going down, I would file the request and want to know what was going on. I right. would want to, I would want some sort of tell me who the the who's in charge and what did they have to say about this. I would want all of those documents there. And if something like what happened at Baylor happened, you would fill the lower bowl at Jones Stadium with hard copies of what happened. But because these schools are private, and I get that they're private, I don't want to know all their admission stuff. I don't want to know all the general uh, the counselor stuff. I only want where there's a field to play, and it's within athletics. Is that unreasonable? I would think that would be reasonable. So why hasn't there been a bill filed today that says that athletics departments within the Big 12 need to be susceptible to the same rules because they play on the same grounds? It's a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer it. But I think a perfectly good piece of legislation would say everybody's susceptible to the same rules. Because believe you me, it will be... It will be within four months' time of right now where we're sitting where there are allegations raised against Texas Tech. Right. About, oh, how can they be so good at basketball? Come on. Something's going on. And then the public information requests start coming in. And guess who's not susceptible to those? Nobody said anything about rape at Tech. Right. Nobody said anything about coaches getting paid off. Just the way it is. And it really bothers me just wanted to lead with that just and also you know it's a it's a private christian university so it also makes me wonder what the culture is you know with their football team and i think it was it was kind of uh were those allegations is somebody was out a cover to get up. them yeah or was it a cover-up no i think that actually happened um you know i think there was a cover-up there was a culture like a party culture and for the uh football team and they let it get out of hand just so it bothers me that i have to wonder what happened if i had pr if i could do a pir i would i would begin to figure this out pretty quickly i figured things out at a university once or twice yeah i remember and and i could do that in in this instance as well really bothers me it may not be a world-leading issue for the both of you but it bothers me that that's where we start off and no bills to be filed there. Darby, any thoughts? Um, yeah, I have thoughts on it. I don't uh, – yeah, I don't know, you know. I don't know. I mean, I think uh, I think access to information is probably a good thing, you know, if people are playing in the same field, you know, if they're operating. I don't, I don't think it's, it's okay that um, – one entity has to share information and another doesn't. I think that invites a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Craig James. Hashtag Craig James. SMU. Also, it's... Isn't there a hashtag about him? No. Oh, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Yeah. CJK5H. <laughs> 
What what does that stand for? <clears throat> well, first of all, it's all fake, but it's um, it's a, it's a fake. It's a some kind of running joke that he killed. <clears throat> he he killed five hookers. Yeah. And the who started that joke? And somebody I don't know. <laughs> I think somebody at Tech, but um, I think even today, if you Google Craig James, that's one of the first searches that comes up because they paid Google Ads. You know about this more than us. They they, they probably flooded, um, you know, articles with keywords that that associate, or or he doesn't have enough articles about himself that don't say that, and so it becomes like the trending topic because those are the the ones with the most backlinks or most viewers looking at it. Yeah. So it kind of, in a way, becomes true. Like the Rick Santorum thing. Yeah. That? Yeah, that was horrible. What was the Santorum thing? It was gross. It was like some left-of-center activist, you know, back in 2012, before 2012, uh, during that Republican primary, they they basically defined Santorum as something really gross, you know, something involving, like, something gross and and um and so anytime you google santorum the first thing that came up was that gross thing and then uh, i believe he spent a lot of money trying to get people to fix that mm-hmm. and it, they were unable to do it because yeah. of all the backlinks and all the yeah. yeah it just it had taken off and there wasn't much they could do about it you know yeah and then google google wouldn't at the time google wouldn't help them out I, I don't know. I'm going to do it right now, actually, and see if, um, see if it's still the, the trend. I'm going to get my phone out, too, right now. Yeah, Santorum. we're we're all on our phones looking. I don't see anything. He must have done some some good yeah. PR. If you find the link, will you text it okay, to me? No, the first thing that comes up, if you Google Santorum, is the Urban Dictionary. Mm-hmm. Let's see. That's still the first thing that comes up. Oh, that wasn't what came up on my phone. Oh, that's definitely what came up on mine. Dan Savage. Dan yep. Savage did it? Yep. Okay. Oh, so Urban Dictionary credits him. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Yeah. Now we know who it is. Okay. okay so, anyway, when uh, whenever there's not lamplight or daylight, things tend to fester, and uh, there needed to be a bill filed today that makes TCU and Baylor both susceptible to the same rules. That's where I wanted to kick off. But on this edition, Daniel's along for the ride. Glad that you're here. Brandon Darby in. Been a while since we sat down and talked. Well, not really. It's been a while since we've sat down and talked in studio. In studio. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So what's going on? What's on your mind? I don't have much time these days. You know, I'm a a little bit swamped. It's hard to to be here on a. I have to travel so much for work that when when I do get home, I just want to hang out with my my child, and I don't really want to. And your animals. And my animals, and I don't want to leave, you know. Yeah. Unless I'm going to eat or something, but I don't. I don't want to take time away from my child, so I don't. Uh, you know what's going on these days is a. You know, an issue that I've covered for a very long time. And I think I think have a reasonable amount of insight into is now one of the hot issues in the country, and so that's uh, <clears throat> you know on one on one hand having everyone looking at the border is very uh, 
it's very fulfilling. <clears throat> because you've been looking at this for how long? Well, because I've been looking at it and trying to get other people to look at it. <clears throat> but what isn't fulfilling is the way they're the way they're presenting it is kind of upsetting me. But for closer to a decade. Closer to a decade, yeah. You've I've been, 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 I've been looking at it. I've been looking at it, yeah. But you're upset at how some are looking at it. Well, I, okay. Not how they're looking at it. I'm by by. I feel, you know, I'm a I'm a Breitbart editor, right? So I'm in senior management of Breitbart. Breitbart. I run a little wing of Breitbart, and I, I you know, I, I generally don't get into politics, and I don't cover politics. Like obviously, I can. Obviously, I know how to get into politics, but I try not to. Um, but. I understand when people are into politics that, you know, you'd be hard-pressed to look at Breitbart and say they're not pushing right-of-center perspectives, right? Okay. You'd be hard-pressed to look at Breitbart and say they're not, you know, they don't, they don't treat right-of-center politicians differently than liberals, right? Okay. <clears throat> but they're honest about it. They're like, hey, this is our perspective. This is where we're coming from. Yeah. When I look at the Washington Post, you know, they their big deal is that democracy dies in darkness, and that they're not they're not a political player. They're not in trying to push an agenda. They're just telling the news and and engaging in journalism. That's what they say, but that's not what they're doing when it comes to the border. Yeah. And and it's it's actually very upsetting. And um, and it's not just them. I'm mean, I to go down the line of 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 different treatment that they're giving the issue and that they're giving different perspectives and it's very bothersome to me. It's not I'm not singling them actually I am singling them out, but I'm I'm not doing it and trying to present that they're the only ones engaged in it. But they're a good example. Like they have the most glaring example uh that I could come up with right now. And it's kind of it's kind of frustrating. Because why? To me. Give give well, okay, don't so, follow the Washington yeah, Post so, an example. So let me give you some some background. I've been writing about Okay, let me say it this way. There are angel families in the U.S. They're, they're called angel families, and it's a network of parents who have had their loved ones, their children killed by people who had been previously deported and weren't allowed back in the United States. But because we don't have more border security, they were able to sneak back into the United States in remote areas. They want a border wall. They want Really, they want a fence, but they want something done so that people who are felons and have been previ been deported can't just walk right back in and come right back to life here and because our border is largely unsecured pe people who had been deported for many times for heinous crimes um, were able to were able to come back into the country and then ultimately kill their children there's a lot of these families and they're organized they're called the angel families I totally understand that, and I'm friends with many of them. Um, I also understand that the majority of the people who do come here illegally or who are here illegally are not people who would kill other people, right? I understand that too. And when I advocate for a border barrier... When I'm thinking about it, I definitely think of those angel families, and I definitely think of many others. But I'm also thinking about the migrants themselves. 
and I'm thinking about communities in northern Mexico and I'm thinking about communities in Central America who are affected by our lack of security um, so that's kind of where I want to go today and, and so when, when we talk about what's going on and what does the Washington Post misrepresent well I'll tell you so one of the aspects to uh, my assertion and my, my dominant belief that what we have currently occurring and happening is is inhumane and is un, is not okay is is one of those features is that um, as few as 33% or one third of migrant women that's women and girls right uh, admit to being sexually assaulted on the journey to our border from Central America they're routinely placed on birth control even the Catholic Church there tells them it's okay to take birth control for the journey because there is the expectation of one or more rapes um, on the journey to our border now if you're going with Doctors Without Borders they say roughly one third of women of females admit to it okay if you go with Amnesty International they estimate the number to be 60 to 70 percent if you Both go of with which, if by you the way, hold on let me yeah. those two organizations are are people would point at is left of center. very left of center right so it's not right wingers claiming this by any means and so uh, some estimates uh, are as high as eighty percent but what we can determine is that most likely it is the majority you know the majority of the hundred and thirty thousand females from Central America who will come to our border this year right the majority are um, are sexually assaulted you know on the journey that's that's tens of thousands of women every year so I've been screaming about that for years and finally you know Trump took office my former boss went there I argued and argued till I was blue in the face that they should have a humanitarian message and that their messaging should not only focus on the angel families but should also focus on the effects of our unsecured border and our current de facto system of immigration and our asylum system they should focus on the humanitarian aspects as well and they didn't they didn't listen to me well now they're starting to so finally in the state of the union the president of the united states came out and said one-third of the females who come from central america are sexually assaulted on their journey here that's actually a low number it's not it's i, I think it's 60 to 80 percent right like most left of center groups do as well most mm -hmm. advocacy groups um so the washington post runs a headline and fact checks him and says that his claim was false that's what people saw most people didn't read it but when you read into it a few paragraphs down it said it's false because the number is that 31.4% say they were sexually abused, not sexually assaulted, as the president said, and 31.4% is not one-third. Mm. And now I'm looking at that, and I'm thinking, that's some dishonest crap you just pulled right there. That is some straight-up propaganda. Thanks to, for cleaning that up on the radio. Yeah, I said crap, and not what I wanted to say in light of the con context, yeah. That's dishonest, man. That is just straight-up dishonest. And so largely, 
even the you know amazing reporters in Texas who are covering the border and immigration, if you look at the Houston Chronicle, if you look at the Dallas Morning News, if you look at they lar- and Dallas Morning News actually does a much better job, but they're covering it, and I'm glad they're covering it, but they only cover except for a few one-offs they they act like the entire issue is encom- is is encompassed in the last 5% of the migrant's journey okay to them all of their border coverage is about once the migrant has been apprehended by border patrol and they're in border patrol custody they don't cover the 95% of the journey that happened before that the horrors that happened across mexico they don't cover the fact that the criminal organizations on our border, like the Reynosa faction of the Gulf Cartel, which is where most of the migrants who come into our country come in, and they're not sneaking them in, they're bringing them in and they just cross and ask for asylum. They have to agree to pay this organization like every week or two for the next five to ten years to come here, right? So it's an indentured servitude situation. And now those cartels, especially the Gulf Cartel and that faction, the, the dominant Reynosa faction, is making as much or more from bringing asylees and training asylees on what to say to our border to turn themselves in as they're making from drugs. So now they're a U.S. asylum policy cartel. They're not even a drug cartel mm. anymore. So, so when, when, when we look at the issue, there's the egregious examples like what the Washington Post did. When the story should have been, oh my God! Thankfully, a U.S. president finally called out that a third of wo- up, to, uh, you know, a third yeah. of women admit being sexually assaulted. Their framing on it was he was wrong because it wasn't 33 percent; it's 31.4 percent. And it's like, is that really like? That's really how. You, that's really yeah. what you think the news is here. But yeah. it's the indentured part that I want to get into. That once well, they but, get here and they're uh, delivered. Let's take a quick break and yeah, we'll take let's a break. get into it. You'll be okay? Mm-hmm. All right. Brandon Darby in studio. Daniel, the digital millennial guru. You Stick right where you are, right here on the other side of Texas. In studio, Brandon Darby and Daniel, the digital millennial guru, as hey. we carry on here on a Friday. What's up? I'm sorry, I just got to say hello. My mom really enjoyed the program last Friday. Oh, she did. Uh, yeah. She said, I like your mom. Says, yeah. uh, thanks. She was a nice lady. Kendall had a good time as well. He, a, he was a, like. A real pretty lady? She was a real pretty lady. Yeah, a nice lady, good cook. Make some decent chili. I don't want to get off under that. Oh no! No, I'm talking about Wait, how the do you real know about my mom's chili. Because one time I went over to your house and she was making chili. Oh, that was my chili. Oh, that was your chili. Yeah. Okay, never mind. It's like, Probably not as good as my chili. Oh right, I'm I sure. make really good chili. I'm sure your chili is the best. My no. chili is very thick, <laughs> very thick. You like thick chili, huh? I like. Yeah, I like to make very thick chili. So, okay, are you a beans and chili guy? Or it just you, depends on what I'm doing with the chili. chili guy? I'm beef and beans and chili. Okay, mm. wow. That's going to get some feedback. I don't care. I don't really determine what, like, what I cook is not really, um, you know, if I had a restaurant 
or if I was um, if I had a restaurant or if it was like some public service funded by the taxpayers in Lubbock where I cook chili for people mm-hmm. feedback all you want but it's, I'm talking about what I make for my house and like I could give two I couldn't give two beans ah. what people think about my chili see what you did there so we were going in and it's one of the first times even though you and I talk about this pretty extensively one of the first times I've heard about indentured servanthood once asylums, asylees, I guess is the way you would say it, are in the U.S. They go in, so they're being trafficked and then told this is how you claim asylum status and then they're owed money after the fact, Brandon Darby? Yeah, that's what they do. They, so, so what happens is the Gulf Cartel, that's why if, if you look at our entire southwest border, all 1,993 miles of it, the vast majority of the people requesting asylum are doing it in a, a few-mile stretch in the Rio Grande Valley sector. Um, and they're doing it because that specific faction of a specific Mexican cartel along the Texas border has realized that they could make a lot of money this way, so they send emissaries salespeople down to Central America. They enlist people to help them. And they say, hey, like, you can go to the U.S. Yeah, gonna, you're going to have to owe us $10,000. But you can go to the United States and um, and we'll give you, you know, five or ten years to pay us back. Now, if you don't send us the money, we know where your family is and we have people in your community down here. Mm. So you'll send us the money. But you'll make so much money that it's barely, really nothing to pay us however much every two weeks or whatever and that's what people do so they start out on the journey they go through a network and system of of stash houses and they get to you know after after going through all these different criminal groups and stash houses um ones who are perceived as being somewhat attractive by 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 groups connected to the gulf cartel are usually sexually assaulted along the way some of them get to our border and the Gulf Cartel determines that um, they're very attractive and they said, hey, if you just work for us for six months or a year, then you don't have to pay us for the next 10 years. And that's when they get people involved in sexual slavery, right? That's called That would be human trafficking or sex trafficking at that point. Some of them they, um, they take money from and they get busy. So they'll just put them in the back of a tractor trailer and leave them there. And that's why they routinely find, you know, tens of migrants dead in tractor trailers. You know, that's why is because for whatever reason, they decided they didn't need to cross that group or didn't want to, or they had already gotten enough money from them. But others are put into a warehouse, a stash house in Reynosa, Mexico, and sometimes are sexually assaulted there. Um, and then the Gulf Cartel eventually cleans them up, puts them in fresh new clothes so they look presentable right when U.S. media cameras see them. And they bring them across the river, and they do it in groups of 25 usually. And they send them across, and there's the fa- same three to five stories. You know, there's three to five different stories of why people need asylum. They're not coming in to sneak in. They're walking, looking for a Border Patrol agent, Right. They usually have to walk about a mile to the levee where the Border Patrol agent is, and they turn themselves in. And then 15 to 30 minutes later, another group of 25 crosses. And then 15 to 20 minutes, 30 minutes later, another group crosses. And each group has the same three to five stories. 
that people have rehearsed on saying because they're, they're saying what they've been told to say. They get into the U.S., they're released, and they start their life here. And, you know, if, if you're like me, I, I would look at that and I'd say, well, I don't know that we can economically sustain that, but I totally understand why they come here. I don't resent them. Like, what, one of the things I generally do just about every month that I've done for many years is I, I go down to that few-mile stretch, and I'm the first U.S. citizen they interact with because I know where they cross. I know the, I know the trafficking patterns. So I go, and I wait, a group of 25 crosses, and I talk to them. And I talk to them, and they all tell me the same story. And they said, no, we came on our own. And I'm like, really? Then how come none of your clothes are, are wet? How'd you cross the river on your own? And then they put their head down, and then they start to talk to me. And eventually they talk to me. And they open up, and they start to tell me. One or two of them will tell me different things. And then I'll tell them, I'll say, well, welcome, you know, um, Here's what you're going to do. You're going to walk about a mile that way, and when you get to the levee, to the end of this ro dirt road, the levees, you can either go right or left on the levee. We'll just stand right there on top of the levee. The agents will see you. They're going to send a few vans to come pick you up. And Thanks. Nice talking to you. And then I give them my card and my number. I've given hundreds and hundreds of them my card and my number, and some of them contact me, you know, so I can talk to them. And once they're alone and away from the group, they tell me. And that's how I get so much information about what they go through. Um, I think I'm the only non-governmental person doing that, you know, that, that, I, that I know of. Um, and uh, at least in that area, right? I'm the only one publicly doing it. Um, so I, I listen to their stories. So, so, you know, they're held in a warehouse in Reynosa. And then the Gulf Cartel says, hey, let's cross today. And they know that when they cross them, especially if there's kids in the group, they know that all the border patrol agents from that region are going to have to be pulled off of border security to go and do health checks and make sure the kids are okay so no, nobody gets is sick, they don't die in custody, right? And then when that happens, then they'll run a, a load of, of dope across. Uh, several weeks ago, they, they uh, about a month ago, they, they crossed a very large number, like in short succession, 25, 5 minutes later, 25, 5 minutes later, 25, 5 minutes later, and then they tried to run 750 pounds of cocaine across the river in between ports of entry um, because they felt like all the agents would be busy taking care of those kids, but the agents caught it. And they didn't expect that or they wouldn't have risked so much money, right? That brings us to a whole other uh, deal that media does when we talk about what media does wrong on this is they say, well, the... The DEA numbers show that all the drugs come through ports of entry, not in between ports of entry. That is an absolute, uh, I can't cuss, we're not on Sirius XM, right? So I won't. That is a, a load of it, right? That's a load of stuff that comes out of the back end of my cow. That is not honest. Let's look at what, what the numbers say. The numbers say that the majority of drugs confiscated are confiscated at ports of entry. Okay, so let's look at it another way. The data show that the majority of drugs caught by police happen where cops are located. That's true. You know? Yeah. Kind of hard to catch drugs if there's no cops in between ports of entry, right? Mm -hmm. So so it doesn't the data doesn't say that the majority of drugs come through ports of entry. It says that they're apprehended at ports of entry. Yeah. You can't apprehend drugs where there's no so so using that kind of information is what's going on you have and again I know you've had Beto O'Rourke on your show I'm not trying to be ugly 
Uh, but I'm going to tell you, like, what he keeps doing when he's saying the border's safe, the border's fine, the border's okay, nothing's going on here. Re- how do you rectify that? How do you reconcile that with with what we now know? It, it's not just Breitbart anymore. The New York Times finally caved and started writing about it last week. And they wrote a headline that said, you know, uh, migrant woman, when we don't have money, we pay with our bodies. They ran, ran another one about the amount of sexual assaults against migrant women. You know, and how do you reconcile Breitbart and the New York Times, Amnesty International, Doctors Without Borders? It isn't just the left or the right talking about this problem because of our unsecured border. And how do you reconcile a Democratic Party that has its leadership running around saying everything's fine? How do you reconcile that? I'm I'm just I'm curious. How do you reconcile that? Be like imagine if a Republican ran around. And said everything's fine in the black communities with police relations. Everything's fine. You would that person would be accused of what? Being a being a, uh, a some form of a denier, you know. So if I were to get on your show and to say that today's Democratic Party, the national leadership and folks like Beto O'Rourke, are migrant rape rape deniers, I could actually make that argument pretty, and you wouldn't be able to fight me on it. You know why? Because that's what he's doing. I don't think that's his intention. In his mind, he thinks that he's probably doing the best thing for the migrants. But that's because he's ignorant and he lacks information. And if you have that kind of platform and you go out there and fight for the wrong thing, whose fault is that? Yeah. You know? That's his fault. And and so when we look at these people who you know when they, they can't be bad people, right? They, nobody who knows them says they're bad, horrible, objectively horrible human beings. Those crossing... I'm talking about people like Beto O'Rourke. Okay. I'm talking about some of the Democratic Party leadership right now. When you have that, and some of the Republican leadership, you know, because that, that's a whole nother story, because a lot of the Republican leadership knows it's happening, right? And you know how I know they know it's happening? Because they've been on my cell phone talking to me about it. And then their messaging still comes out just like Beto O'Rourke's. At least Beto O'Rourke doesn't seem to know better, you know? Yeah. It's like, so. so we're in a situation right now where the dominant people, many dominant people on the right, and most of the dominant people on the left, when it comes to po- party politics, are they're being very dishonest about our border. You know, they're 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 engaging, and they're engaging in propaganda, and they're engaging in spin, and they're doing it at the expense of migrants, and they're doing it at the expense of communities in northern Mexico, some of the most disaffected communities in our hemisphere. They're doing it at the expense of families like the Angel families. They're doing it at the expense of a lot of people. Mm. But it isn't just about, you know, this notion. I think that the president has made it very easy, and Republicans in general, some Republicans have made it very easy to portray the desire for a border barrier as racist or having racial resentment motivations. And um but the fact of the matter is that the the majority of the need for a border barrier isn't our country. Yeah, let me ask it's you, them. Let me ask you about the conversation, and gosh, this is coming up on a year ago with Beto O'Rourke, where I said to him, it seems to me that the problem within your party is that you want inclusion at all costs, and a border is defies inclusion because a border resists people a border pushes back people does not include people and that that seems to me to be the 
the moray within liberal democratic politics that you can't just let everybody in. Um, at that time, what he told me, and I admittedly, and I don't need to defend Beto O'Rourke, but at that time, he said something that I felt like he shifted from later in the campaign, was that if people are found to be illegal, they need to be sent back home. I, you know, I, he did say that. He said different than that before, and he said different than that after it. So I'm going to go with he said that while he was running a campaign trying to get votes in West northwest Texas and Lubbock. Mm-hmm. He said it on your show, which didn't get a lot of uh, nearly as much press as it would have if he said it on Good Morning America, right? And no knock to your show. I'm just saying, you know, like the sure. same thing if you, you know, somebody says something to Breitbart, but then they don't say it on Fox or same concept. We're getting there. I, I think that he pandered and changed his message, but maybe, maybe he is... Well, let, let's put it this way. He either pandered and changed his message back and forth, depending on where he was talking mm-hmm. when he was running the campaign, or he has uh, some type of personality disorder where there's two different Betos or three. I don't know which one of those two possibilities it is, but it's not. there's not another for that. There's not another possibility with that. What do you make of him saying that? In well, the, I, well, I don't want to turn. See, the problem, though, is I used Beto as an example, and I don't. I don't want this to be about about Beto. Um, this isn't just Beto, right? Beto was the, an easy example sure. and, a, and, and a, 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 a expedient example because of where we live and, and the fact that he's been on the show and, and did engaged in what I think is the exactly what I'm talking about. But this isn't just, you know, when we talk about the Democratic Party and inclusion, right? And I can I could go off about the right too. I'm not. This isn't like oh the Breitbart editors knocking the dem. No, I can. We can talk about the right too. I have I, I my social media I have a, a pretty substantial following, and I, I'm pretty straightforward about both sides of the the aisle on this. But when we talk about inclusion, you can't have you. Okay, let's let's put it this way. Have do you see a lot of the Black Democrat Party leadership talking about the border and about immigration? No. You know why you don't? Because their communities don't like it. You know, do you know what the black unemployment rates are right now? They're historic lows. You know why? Because the amount of people competing for low income, low skilled jobs with them, entry level jobs are at historic lows, you know, right now. That's what's going on. The amount of people who can work and not get in trouble for it, right? Or hire people. So what happens is you, you, ultimately, you you can't have a coalition that just ha- makes everybody happy and that involves everyone. You can't be the party of of Black Americans and support w- when you look at the socioeconomic. And I know it comes from historical issues, but when you look at the socioeconomic uh, uh, condition of a, of of many Black Americans right now, you can't be in favor of importing millions of people to compete with them for jobs and be their party at the same time. You can't. Ultimately, there's going to be a fraction. Ultimately, there's going to be a problem. You can't say we're the voice of black America. We're the party fighting for for inner city communities where there's historic marginalization and oppression and economic, you know, uh, uh, the the lingering uh, economic effects of, of from slavery and from Jim Crow and from not being able to vote and from not having ad- adequate access or fair access to education. And and so knowing that these communities 
need some lower skilled jobs, right? Which we would call entry level jobs in more privileged communities. You can't be for them and then say, hey, we're also going to import millions of people to compete with you with for, with you over those jobs. You can't limited number of jobs. You can't do that. And that's why you don't see black leadership engaging right now uh, with, with the Democratic Party on this issue is because they can't, because their base doesn't support it. You know, so so the issue gets really complicated when we're I mean, not compl- I mean, it's complex, maybe not complicated, but there's a lot of tentacles, a lot of avenues to go down talking about it. But the bottom line is there is a humanitarian argument to be made for doing something to change the status quo. I routinely have people tell me, well, you voted for Donald Trump and you work for Breitbart, so you're a racist. And I'm like, well, you didn't, so actually I think you're the racist. How's that? You didn't, so you said you're – you basically, because you voted for someone other than Trump, you said you're perfectly okay with the status quo where we have tens of thousands of migrant females getting raped every year coming to our border. You're perfectly okay with that. That's not a big deal to you. It's not the central driving factor to you to change that. I'm like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well – I voted for someone because I thought they would change that. I didn't like their messaging necessarily. I didn't like their tone, but I thought they would change it. It would be something different that wasn't just accepting the status quo. It wasn't Jeb Bush or Obama, Jeb Bush or Hillary, or Jeb Bush or Obama who were both saying, like, hey, leave it as it is. Because as it is is not okay. And so now we're finally in a situation where people are beginning to look at it, but instead of taking an honest look at it and trying to acknowledge what's really happening they're trying to fit what's happening into the parameters that benefit their political side and and that is you know you have these millions of people in communities in northern mexico who are getting completely screwed right now and they have been for the last decade by the criminal groups controlling their cities and what we're currently doing even though it seems like the nice thing to just let everybody come it's fueling those very groups it's fueling the very organizations and entities and systems of corruption that people are trying to get away from in the first place the very systems that are preventing uh you know the destratification of the economy the very systems that are preventing more jobs from occurring and for wealth to be shared more and to be uh less stratified those very groups of people we're fueling with our system Hmm. With our status quo. Let's take a break. Can we, are you good to take a break? Take for a break. Minute? Take Let's a break. Take a Let's break. do it. Get right. back in. See you guys. We'll be back. Good job, buddy. Yeah, I'm just. Shake the dirt off the shoes. Come on. Daniel says we'll be right back. Be right back right here on the other side of the table. Got food on the fire. Can I get you some to eat? Make yourself at home. Yeah, I'm on the run. I'm looking out. Searching for something that I still care about I'm looking up to the sky best friends with the founder of the Lubbock County Militia, you get your own radio show. It's the other side of Texas with Jay Leeson. I'm a big, big man. Not just in size or in stature, in terms of space that can't be filled. I'm a bottomless canyon down a drop that's filled. Yeah, I'm a bottomless canyon 
Welcome back in the other side of Texas, Jay West, Texas leasing, and uh, becoming the real estate guru. You ready to buy that duplex yet, Brandon Darby? Let's do it. Not just yet, but I'm getting there. No. I'm getting there. I'm into it. We're going to get you fixed up. Get listeners fixed up, too. 806-543-1317. I want people to have a cow. Oh, okay. Is that your personal number, Jay? Yes. Oh, wow. They can reach me for all their real estate, commercial, industrial, residential, whatever the case might be. Yeah. I all deal their... mostly with commercial. But... Yeah, be careful, Sanford. Whatever their needs might be, it's like you get some weird calls late at all night. All the real estate needs that they might need. Yeah, clarify that. Clarify yeah. it, buddy, because there's some weirdos that. here in Lubbock. You want everybody to have a cow. I want everyone to have a cow. That's right. I think I have a... A smaller breed of cattle called Dexters. And they're a dang good meat cow and a dang good milk cow. Mm. And they're small. So so people moving out to a few acres could actually very easily it's it's less intimidating. It takes less less grass to feed, less feed to feed you know, like it's it's a lot less res- fewer resources, I should say. But you're about take to put one of, of these dudes down. I'm about to eat one of them up because she's mean, but the others are nice, you know. Mm. And um, so I envision having a a situation where I'm providing small, affordable, uh, a small affordable family cow. Amnesty Dexter International. To a lot of a lot of uh, mm. people who who are are moving trying to move out to the country, you know. Yeah who aren't buying a lot of land and, you know, don't have the experience to deal with a, a giant Holstein or even a, a large Jersey, which is not considered large usually, but they're large compared to Dexter's. So hey, that's, Dana, what I, that's where I'm kind of going. and get you a small Dexter or two? Well, I was thinking about it because I got about, like, half an acre in, like, my backyard. And, you know, they're pretty small. It's sustainable, you know, cattle raising. I don't think let's, you can have a Dexter in the city limits. Really? Well, let, let's 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 reframe that. You, you, you can't have people know you have a Dexter oh. in the city limits. Let's just change that around. People in the city don't know a lot. So, like, if somebody sees it, say, "Well, it's a chicken." Oh, right. Yeah. Or, or say it's something else. Well, I can. You know, there was this story that went around where you can get those like uh, toy pigs. Well, someone bought one and it grew into a full size. Yeah, because they do pig there's, in the house. There's not toy pigs like that's a bunch of. Yeah, it, it grew into this giant, you know, four hundred pound, pound hog. and it it was trained <laughs> to use the bathroom and it would just sleep on the floor in their you know house and you know I think they had one of them sleep in the bed or something uh, like that. That's still not going to smell right at the end of the day. You think so? No. Well, it depends. I think it's really hilarious because it's like, I mean, you raise this animal, it's part of your family, and then it's just like maybe like a year in, you're like, whoa, you're kind of big. And then like (laughs) two years in, you know, it's like a, you know, you just don't talk about it anymore with your wife or anything. You're just like, yeah, we can't get rid of them, but. Wilbur. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. That's a, uh, you know, much nicer to talk about cows than it is to talk about, um, our border, you know, it's going to be the defining issue heading into 2020. Yeah, definitely. It's no going to be the defining issue, and the problem with that is, I really wanted more people to look at the issue, 
but the problem is is that when it's the defining issue in a major in a presidential race in the United States that means there's a lot of uh, bureau- almost bureaucracy informal bureaucracies right um, spinsters for the Dems and spinsters for the GOP who are going to twist that issue up like a pretzel to fit their needs bureaucrats pollsters who don't know the issue well and messaging folk and comms teams and you know like I I just looked at a tweet from the president the other day and instead of saying like oh my gosh we've had over a million people cross our border you know Mm -hmm. or coming to our border he said border patrol agents under under the Trump administration have done an amazing job and they've apprehended they've apprehended the highest levels of of people uh in 20 years. Yeah, that sounds and about He right. tried to frame it as though like it's a success for him that his agents are being more successful and it's like no, dude. It's not. Like that's because more people they're not even they're not sneaking in anymore. They just people who are sex offenders and have been deported and there's a lot of those like people let's not act like everyone who crosses is a saint just like I say don't act like everyone who crosses is a is a devil right right but not everyone who crosses is an angel you know like if we look there was a three year period I wrote about in 2015 the previous three years the ICE had deported 7,500 previously convicted sex offenders from Texas alone in a three year period just from Texas that's a significant number of people. And someone could say, well, that's no higher than than it would be in the native-born population of sex offenders. And it's like, it doesn't matter because that's 7,500 sex offenders who we don't have to have here if we just yeah, enforced man. our laws and have, yeah, you don't. Yeah. But but my point is, is is that those people still sneak in. The drug dealers sneak in, but, but families, and they don't sneak in anymore. They just turn themselves in. And as long as you're not from Mexico or Canada, you can do that. If you're from Mexico, then it's different because you're not a third-tier nation. But if, you're, if your nation of birth and nation of origin is, is anything other than Mexico or Canada, and you come here and you request asylum, it's very difficult to send you away. Yeah. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot of loopholes, a lot of, a lot of guidelines that just they figured out the system and the cartels who are making money from it tell them exactly what to say so that they can they trigger the right things and they're allowed to stay um and that's where we're at you know um david has a question but i want to go back and ask you about what pete says how do they know if they come across and they go into custody how do they know the address to send i think it's a fair question send the money back if they're going to be indentured servants right so how do they know where to get the money so someone in their community back in central america is connected to that faction of the gulf the smuggler oh send it to the family member not necessarily sometimes they do sometimes they just get into contact with their family member and then the family member tells them like okay talk to so and so and they're going to set you up so that's what's going on sometimes it's the family who's responsible for it right it just depends, like on, on which network. Like they of people. brokered the deal from the beginning. Like not the we'll family. Be responsible. Okay, like, like I said, they send emissaries. The cartel sends people, and develops sales teams in Central American communities, right, with criminal groups in Central America. Those Central American communities now have somebody representing the Gulf Cartel in their community. Okay, mm. connected to them. Okay. So that's how they work it out. 
and uh, that people say, well, you could tax remittances, and or you could you could monitor remittances, but you get into the thing like, okay, so then they just send it to their family, and their family's responsible, right? And you say, well, we'll tax remittances and pay for the wall, all this crap. It's like, no, they'll just they'll just turn to a cryptocurrency based remittance system, like the Philippines people in the Philippines are doing, like immigrants here from the Philippines sending yeah. money back. I think last year, 15 or 20% of all of their remittances sent back, which are substantial, were done through cryptocurrency exchanges. Yeah. So they're not even done in a way that the U.S. government can tax any longer. Um, and the the more difficult you make it, the higher fees you associate, the, the more you're going to see people turn to cryptocurrency exchanges. And that mm-hmm. would be as simple as Daniel's in, in the Philippines or Daniel's in Honduras. Right or Daniel's in Reynosa, Mexico. I'm I'm here. You come to me and go, hey, I want to give a hundred dollars to my family in Reynosa, and I say, okay, give me the hundred dollars, and I'm going to send ninety nine dollars of Bitcoin to Daniel. Mm-hmm. And then Daniel goes, hey, uh, I got ninety nine dollars of Bitcoin for you, so I'm going to keep a dollar. Here's ninety eight dollars. Yeah. And then Daniel made a buck. I made a buck. It didn't cost us anything to transfer the Bitcoin. And that's substantially lower than paying a twenty-five or, or large dollar or larger fee for a wire, you know, or for, through Western Union or Landy Valuta. Um, and then that's done outside of the purview of and the eyesight of government, you know, especially if I use Monero or some of the other like anonymous anonymized cryptocurrencies. So that that's really the problem. That that that's a very significant deal. Complicated. David says the problem's the national media. Is the problem the national media, Brandon Darby? I think it's. I think that we are because I'm involved in national media. I think we are part of the problem. You know, as a whole. I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna take that because I. I try. I get a whole lot of grief from everybody because I try to, to just present issues and not politicize them. Um, but there's political value to both sides in what I'm reporting. You know, mm-hmm. if if I report about migrants, uh, a facility full of migrants being overcrowded, I don't write about, look, these people are doing this or they're doing that. Or I don't I use neutral language and I just say, hey, look at the image. This right. is what's going on. Mm-hmm. One side could, you know, the Democrats can look at the the Republicans look at it and go, hey, our systems are overwhelmed. Our education systems are going to get overwhelmed. Our education entities are going to get overwhelmed. Um, our 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 healthcare costs are going to get overwhelmed because they are and and they could say well we're, this is going to happen this is going to happen secure the border democrats could easily look at it and go look how bad it is there along the border of course people are coming here we have to give them asylum but um, sadly what democrats have chosen to do is go oh no it's fine there it's okay mm-hmm. it's just all good you know right nothing to see here and that's that's where things get really bad mm. but media being the problem i would say I would say politicians and media, I would say politicians and business interests and their allies in media are the problems. Brandon Darby, thank you for the time. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you, Daniel, the digital millennial guru. Yeah, I'm just happy to be here. Glad that you're going to put this all up on podcasts. It can be found anywhere and everywhere. Pretty much now. No. Yeah. We had we've had a good couple of weeks. And uh go to Anchor, go yeah. to pod podcasts on your phone. Yeah, Google Play, Spotify, 
Stitcher, Podbean. Can you, can you ask Alexa to play the podcast? I if I think you can do that now because we're on Spotify. So yeah. you can say Alexa, play Jay Leeson, uh, Other Side of Texas, or just say Alexa, play Other Side of what, Texas. What if you don't like Alexa because you think it's creepy that it's she's really recording? Just you. use your phone. Yeah, or they're, you can just they're say, recording you too. Hey Google or Hey Siri. Other side of Texas.com at OSTX show on Twitter. Appreciate you guys being here. Big week next week here on the show. Tune in. And we appreciate that. Uh, you tune in. Going to go home. Got to get home. Great family. Above average dinner waiting for me at the Ponderosa. Until next time, Rayvon buddies. Rayvon, we'll see you next week on the other side. Step up.